0: Welcome to Piecing it All Together. Hey, I'm Randy Woodley. I am Bo Sanders.
1: We're really happy to have you here with us today and it's been a while. It's been a minute, right, Bo? Yeah, and we have so much to
0: talk about because of that. We're going to talk about yurts and seeds and books and doctoral dissertations and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So it's going to be quick and dirty folks. No, not that, not, not so dirty, but uh, (laughs) we're going to just going to give you a very succinct uh, update on what we all it'll be fast and
0: furious. They're fast and furious. There we go. (laughs) Randy, I am very curious. You are just finishing a hundred day journey with uh, people are reading your uh, Lenten devotional. And I was wondering
1: how it was going. Okay, so the Lenten devotional is it's not the 100-day journey. That's just the Lenten thing that's, that some friends of mine put together oh. um, that accompanied Becoming Rooted, which okay. is called Becoming Rooted, 100 uh, Days Reconnecting with Sacred Earth. And, so, uh, and then from that book, they've created a Lenten devotional to go along with it. So, um, so let's get that right. All right. Uh, and so the 100th day actually culminates on Earth Day which is actually Friday the 22nd. But instead, we're going to have a big celebration out here at Ayla Hay live. And we'll do a Facebook Live at 4.30 that day. But at 3 to 5.30, we're going to ask people to come out and we're going to have a big tour. We're going to have a talk. And I'm going to then read the 100th entry, the 100th chapter uh, that day on Facebook Live. And then we're just going to have a big potluck meal together. So we're asking everybody wow. to... Uh, to sort of let us know and uh, um, bring potluck dish of some kind to share. And yeah, it's going to be a big deal, big celebration. That way we, we end our hundred day journey with becoming rooted. And uh, it's been, I've gotten so much positive feedback and so much um, just exactly the kinds of things I wanted when I I wrote the book. Um, The people telling me like about their journeys and what they've discovered and in nature and all these different things and what they've passed on to their kids. It's just been great. Yeah. That is amazing. I'm
0: so glad I asked. Now I had obviously merged the two, so I'm glad that you straightened me out there, but this reading of the hundredth day on earth day is like
1: genius. <laughs> well, we, we planned it to be that way, right? So we said, let's oh, start on whatever the date was and yep. so that we can end up on earth day. And, uh, given the fact that, uh, you know, COVID is tampered down. We we will plan on having a live, our final Facebook live there and have a big celebration. So uh, so yeah, we're looking forward to meeting a lot of people who've been reading along with us locally and and uh, some churches. I've got even one church has uh, canceled their Easter service through that Sunday, and they're going to come out here and spend the day working before this celebration. Um, so that uh, that's how they've chosen to celebrate Easter is to Work at Ayla Hay and, you know, dig and get their fingers dirty and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, can you believe it?
0: I am speechless. That is a shock. I mean, to take it that seriously, I mean, to cancel any Sunday is sort of a big deal, but Easter Sunday, isn't that, that amazing?
1: Yeah. So, this is how serious people are starting to become about climate change and, mm. and relating to the earth and you know, all the things that we sort of talk about in that book and other books that I've written. And, uh, and so, yeah, and I, I just did a talk last night, the, the Rutland lecture series at Luther seminary, which was about climate change and stuff. And yeah, um, we're seeing a lot of people respond, which is good. I mean, we need to do something and we need to do something now. So, Mm -hmm. you
0: know, you and I have talked before because we're not that you and I are not that great at social media. We sometimes, um, (laughs) Suck. <laughs> I was going to say, are a little dumbfounded. We, we know people are listening to the podcast, but we don't always get a lot of feedback on each episode. Right. And so uh, you and I had talked about that a couple months ago, and I have been watching the feedback that you're getting on the 100-day journey, Becoming Rooted. And I got to tell you, I am so happy that people are engaging it in the way that they are and giving you the feedback and posting about it. It's been really exciting.
1: Yeah. I, I was um, like last night at this uh, thing at at Luther seminary, David Rutland, who's a former professor at Luther is, is who sponsors the annual talk, which is about, you know, the earth and climate change and those kinds of things. And he was on last night and he said, I bought your book because I was going to read it really fast before you came on. And he said, and I started reading and I went, Oh, no, this is to be taken one day at a time. And so he said, I've only done a couple chapters so far. And I'm not gonna, and I was like, thank you. You know, I'm so glad because that's the way it's meant to be read as a daily meditation, if you will, and a daily action point.
0: Yeah, if you speed
1: read it, you might you might be doing it wrong. Oh no, no, no! And, and you know, I get asked all the time when I'm doing these uh um series or lectures or things like this, and and they will say the the, the question is always, uh, "What can we do to get closer to the earth, to get closer to nature, and to to change our attitude and to 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 change our worldview?" And I'm like, "Well, I just wrote." a hundred things that you can do. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. Hey, let's talk
0: about the yurt. We have a new yurt on the property and it was fun to be a part of putting that up, but talk about just the process of getting that and
1: what role it's going to play. Right. So we we advertised uh, to our uh, newsletter and uh, Facebook friends that um, uh, we, we wanted to do a yurt. Right. And also four teepees. And we still haven't picked those up yet, but we will. Um, and um, that will help uh, have a place for people to camp and things like that when they come out and maybe a place for interns, uh, etc. And uh, and yeah, so we we chose a day to put it up and then. We found out that the day that we were all going to put it up was just going to be terrible storming, rain, etc. <laughs> and so I contacted a bunch of people, including you, and you really saved our bacon by uh, bringing several of your friends. <laughs> and, uh, and we all sort of uh, got just about everybody except for two people out. And so there was what, probably eight or nine of us out there. Yeah, um, and we got the thing up in one day, which I never believed would happen. It was incredible, and so uh, we've had some. We had a group from Whitworth University stay in it uh, oh, two man. weeks ago, a week and a half ago, and so it got its first
0: use. Yeah, that is fantastic. So it's a sixteen-foot yurt, and if you've if if anyone, I'm assuming everyone's seen a yurt, but if you've never been a part of putting one up. Uh, it is an amazingly the the engineering that has gone into it and just how it is step by step laid out and the physics of the whole thing of how it it holds up and it bears the weight of the
1: roof and how it right it's an incredible incredible thing. It's fantastic and it feels so clean and open when you're in there too. Yeah. it's like But we were joking around because, uh, you know, of the eight or nine people there, I think the lowest degree anybody had was a master's degree. And uh, so uh, it took that to figure out the instructions. That was a well-educated work party. Yes.
0: So when I went out to the coast one time, I got to stay. It was at a state park in like Yakuts or something uh, out on the coast. They have yurts you can stay in, and I stayed in a 30-foot yurt, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, huge. And uh, if you imagine like a clock, so from 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock was partitioned off with like actual two-by-four walls and drywall, and that was the bathroom. On top of that was storage, and then the one backside became the kitchen. And then over in the other quarter was the living room. And then the final quarter was the bedroom. It was an incredible experience, you know, to stay there. And uh, ever since then, I've been sort of fascinated with them. Yeah. So to see one actually go up and to know like the, the people are going to be staying in it is really, I, I've, I've been falling down rabbit holes of your research and watching YouTube videos. And of what, what people do with them. I'm like, I've become a real fan.
1: Yeah. So thank God for the uh, uh, Mongolians, eh? Yeah. They're
0: the ones who invented the yurt. You know, it really is something to think about them. Like, I Putting one up was a pretty intense thing. I can't imagine taking
1: one down yeah. and transporting it. Yeah. Well, I know enough now that I would probably never attempt to put a 30-footer up. Uh I think we were yeah yeah, we were you know we and it was a good thing we had a sixteen footer to start with here,
0: I agree, I agree, just especially getting the the beams up the rafters right. and then that whole support structure, yeah, that took a, a little bit of um, of know how to do,
1: yeah, well, it was fun it was, it fun was. that was a lot it of fun day. we couldn't have asked for a better day, so yeah, uh, yeah, worked out great. I was so impressed that people
0: responded because it was going to be a Saturday and you already had a crew that was going to do it. Then you found out the bad weather, but that people were able to rearrange their schedules or just take Friday off or come out if they had Friday as as a day off and that they did that. I was so impressed that we were able to have such a good turnout on a Friday, just a random Friday um, when we really started making the calls on Thursday
1: yeah, that was a quick turnaround. Yeah, and it was Solvey uh, Solvey Nelson Gooden, who uh, uh, was one of the masterminds, her and Jonathan yeah, yeah. Thimble, uh, who uh, who who just I think on Thursday said, "Is is there any way people could come out Friday so we don't have to do all this in the rain?" Yeah. And I'm like, "Well, I'll try." I didn't yeah. think it was possible, but uh, so happy yeah, that it worked. Friends and, <laughs> friends and people who believe in the vision here and what we're doing, and so. Yeah, it's just so exciting to to uh, to see people support us. You know, finally after all these years, we've had you know uh, off and on support, but right now we're feeling so loved by mm-hmm. the uh, local community and the national community. So uh, oh, that's great. Yeah. Hey, I did want to ask you about
0: seeds. Are are the seeds continuing this year? Are people ordering
1: them? And man, are they ever! We thought this was going to be a a slow year. Yeah. Uh, because last year was like, you know, we had like five times the sales of the year before
0: yeah.
1: COVID everybody was planting. And so we thought, well, this is going to be a slow year, but you know, they've been, they, they've been trickling in uh, well, maybe I shouldn't say trickling. They've been flowing in um, and we probably get, uh, I'd say we're averaging a, 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 probably an order a day. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty consistent. But it is planting season, so yes. I, I expect it'll slow down after uh, April. I mean, wow! Well, that's exciting.
0: Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know if that trend would continue. Like you said, now that you know, we're sort of. Well, I don't even know what we're being released into. Post, yeah, it's
1: hard to know. Yeah,
0: whatever this thing is.
1: Yeah. And then we've got our good friend Calibre, who's Damn. coming back. Uh, he was, uh, he did a fundraiser to try and get the money to be here all summer this year mm-hmm. and, uh, asked for $3,000 and we advertised it on Facebook and people gave. And so supported <laughs> him, he made it he's coming up. He'll be here, uh, I think Sunday. Yeah. And so he's going to be a big help, especially I injured my back a couple months ago in a fall and, uh, I'm right now still not able to do all the things that I should be doing at this time of the year. Um, and cause it's a really, you know, important time of year to get everything in the ground in time and that. So we've had uh, some help from groups coming in and, and then Calibri will get here, which I'm just so happy about. He's uh, a, yeah. he's kind of what we call the uh, plant wizard around here. He, he knows the Willamette Valley and he knows the plants and, and he has a relationship with them and he's just oh. uh, uh, besides being a, a wonderful person. He's uh, his plant knowledge and his work ethic are just impeccable. Amazing. So he will actually go
0: out in the quote-unquote off season, and like go up to the high desert or whatever, and interact with plants and collect seeds and right. Like he, this is his life.
1: Yeah, yeah. He's. Uh, I don't. I don't know what he's exactly. He's done this past year, but uh, um, you know, he's a pretty private person as well. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, he has his own life, and he knows how to live it and what he wants to get out of it. So I really respect him. It's yeah. beautiful. But I'm just so happy for his help here. Yeah. Boy, it's
0: exciting. Hey, I did want to ask you. Apparently, you have a big new book coming out.
1: <laughs> Not so big. <bad. laughs> <laughs> uh, but it is new, and it, it has a really nice cover to it. Everybody seems to like the cover. Yeah. Called the uh, Indigenous Theology and the Western Worldview, and then I they they gave me the subtitle. I created the title, and the, they subtitled it a decolonized approach to Christian doctrine, which I think is maybe um, a little too much. But uh, they, I think, they wanted to draw a lot of Christian theologians into uh-huh. it or something. But um, yeah. but I wrote this book, you know. So so. Uh, Lately, I'm I'm liking what's happening with the books that that I'm writing and that we wrote. So we wrote the book, um, mm-hmm. Decolonizing Evangelicalism, and we wrote it as a conversation between us, in which uh, the people who read it, because we never did get an a, a official launch on that thing, right? But the people who read it love that dialogical style back and forth, right? Oh, good. And so it's not like just reading a, a book through. Uh, it's, you know, this, this bantering and things going back and forth questions. And, and then, um, and then the next book I wrote was becoming rooted, which just came out in January. And it's a very meditational, um, and then action point walk alongside me for a hundred days from an indigenous perspective. And, and so it feels very much people have given me the feedback and said, I feel like you're there with me. I feel like we're doing this together. Right. Wow. And then. <clears throat> this book, even though this was uh, indigenous theology in the Western worldview, was part of what they call the Hayward Lecture Series. Yeah, uh, And that's some big, fancy series I didn't know about um, until t- recently. And uh, it was actually Nijay Gupta who said, you're speaking at the Hayward Lectures? And I went, yeah, he goes, <laughs> oh, my gosh, do you know who's spoken there before? And he's like, you know, Moltmann and N.T. Wright and James Dunn and, you know, all these people. And and I'm like, whoa, well, you know, I, I, mean- know, I didn't
0: know heavy hitters and
1: yeah. So, um, so anyway, I tried to, cause it's, uh, it's an, a day of an interview and then four or three, three nights of lectures. Right. Okay. And so I tried to create a more indigenous, um, platform, even though, you know, I was stuck in this, you know, sort of seminar type lecture series. This was, uh, three or three years ago, I believe in Nova Scotia. And, um, and I tried to indigenize as much as I could, right? As a And so what we did was we, I would do the lecture for like an hour, and then I would have at least an hour of dialogue afterwards, which we added, right? Wow. And I said I wanted to emphasize that. And we even had call-in dialogue and all that, people calling in, et cetera. And so, um, and so then, then Baker Academic has a, a sort of first right to, have these Hayward lectures made into books. And so Baker contacted me and said, you know, would you write, we'd like to have this in book form. Would you turn this into a book? And so so I tried to create something again that people could really be a part of. And uh, so we have like the interview is the introduction. And then we have uh, the first night of the lecture as chapter one. And then we have after chapter one, this whole dialogue back and forth, back and forth. And then each chapter's like that. Huh. and uh, and then we have a conclusion. And so, um so people can and I really i I think even though I use a lot of story, both my personal story and, and you know narrative theology, if you will, in yeah. in my own uh, Ketua stories. but um uh, i I think people will get into it because the, 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 the to me the, a lot of the meat of the book is in that dialogue. Uh, yeah. after chapter part you know so huh. so it was it was kind of fun to to do that yeah
0: yeah all right so two questions is it available now people can order
1: it pretty much it the official release date is uh august nine. August, oh. april 19th april. <laughs> yeah. yeah and uh april 19th so um but you know uh like for some reason, I don't know how this happens, but Amazon usually gets like these books at least a week to two weeks early. Yeah. People start getting them before the publishers even release them. And so, um, yeah, so people can pretty much order them now. And even if it says pre-order, it shouldn't be, but just, you know, maybe a few days. So I think it's a, they're about ready to go.
0: Yeah. All right. Question number two, and this is a very personal question. My preview copy (laughs) <laughs> is that going to come to your house and I come get it
1: or is that going to come to my house the one uh, that you the, the, yeah. that you're supposed to be sent they should be coming to you
0: oh to me okay
1: good <laughs> I can't wait to get my hands on it yeah so did uh, did you endorse it I'm trying to remember
0: no no, I didn't so, I mean I, I will endorse it here <laughs>
1: <laughs> so why, why are you being sent a preview copy tell me again
0: Oh, I'm I'm supposed to look at it and then tell people about it.
1: Oh, okay. So they they should be sending that to you then. Is yeah. that something that that I did? F- oh, yeah, yeah. I know because I was asked to give the names of a bunch of people who I wanted to receive the book. Yeah, you'll get that book. Okay, right? good. I just
0: I didn't know if they were going to sh- mail like uh, a case to you and then I would come out and get
1: my copy. No, because some of those people are you know on the other side of the country. So. Oh, yeah. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's hard for me to remember all this because I've, I've, I've got three books coming out this year. <laughs> and so, you know, that's a lot of writing, plus two chapters and two magazine articles. So, uh, you know, it's it was a lot of writing. Uh, this is sort of the year of uh, publishing for me. So you write in the mornings.
0: Is that yeah. still true? Yes. And is is that how you're
1: able to write so much? I think so. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm molested for, you know, three, three hours, four hours. And, uh, that's, and in the mornings is sort of when my brain gets in gear, my imagination. Wow. And, uh, you know, by afternoon, it's sort of like, you know, dragging my feet And, <laughs> and at eight I'm like, well, I'm going to head to bed now, you know, and yeah. sleep by nine o'clock. So <laughs> That's funny. I've really
0: been thinking a lot about when I'm going to be most productive because, um, I think I've mentioned to you on several podcasts that, uh, in COVID, I have, I haven't been sleeping. I just, I sleep less than half of what I used to. I I think I just don't have enough as an extrovert, like social stimulation and, I don't know if my brain doesn't have enough to process or I don't know what's happening but I go to bed, you know, at 9:30 every night but I usually wake up at like 12:30 or 2:30 but the problem is I'm not like sharp. I'm not ready to write
1: well, that's a little too early.
0: <laughs> that's too early, right. So then I might, you know, get stuff done around the house or whatever but I'll usually be ready to write around 9 or 10. But I've been trying to think like if I could write in those early hours, is that how I could get more stuff done, even if I'm not at my sharpest?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I, you know, we all operate differently in terms of yeah. our imaginations and how our, think, our how we think. But yeah. um, I, you know, I basically when I'm in a writing spell, I do like three thirty to six thirty or to seven. Yeah. and uh, at that point it's it's all over for the day you know but i might go back and like research a little thing here yeah. or there. and i kind of got that pattern actually from james mitchner so many many years ago back in the 80s when i was on kodiak island uh, he was doing research for his book on alaska and he came to kodiak and so he went to an elementary school and he did a lecture there and i i was probably one of 30 people there <laughs> to hear him lecture. And, uh, and so somebody asked him about like, how do you write? And so he said, uh, I write from about three thirty to six 30 every day. Uh, and he said, then I, I usually uh, have breakfast. Then I go for a walk uh, with my wife and uh, you know, depending on where we're at and yeah people still know who james Mincher is, right uh, I mean Michener. I don't, but i'm maybe some of our listeners do James Mincher he's like written so many famous books uh Hawaii was one of them, a lot of them were turned into movies and things okay. so, so anyway mincher he's he's considered one of the you know big writers of historical fiction okay. in the in literature american literature um and so uh and then he says, I do research and stuff in the afternoons and and then go to bed early. And and I thought, hmm, I'm going to try that. And that's, that's sort of how that uh, practice came about. I took a, took a hint from a, a, an experienced writer.
0: Wow. Now, in fairness, I am not the right person to ask, um, because I don't read fiction. Okay. So I call it fiction. And I, I just, I can't do it. In fact, the only fiction I've ever been able to read is Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings and Cimmerillion. And
1: yeah, note, I didn't say fiction. I said, historical fiction. <laughs> <So> historical <laughs> I, I, uh, is, is all the right historic facts, the background, oh. the context, but then you write a fictional story within that. Yeah. And so, um, you can actually l- learn a lot in that oh, way. Wow. So, uh, I've even had classes in college where we read historical fiction in history classes. I know several people who love
0: historical fiction. It's like, you know, their main genre that they read in. I just,
1: I can't, I can't do it. So I hardly have time to read fiction, but I am going to be starting to write more fiction. So... Uh, I've written yeah. one children's book. Now I've got a second one. I'm trying to get an illustrator right now. And yeah. I have a third children's book in that series. And then after that, I have another series that I'm going to be working on that, that I've been wanting to do for over 40 years. And I've been taking notes during these 40 years, but never written this. And it's a big project and it's a trilogy again. Um, and these would be like, sort of like uh, young adult, uh, mm-hmm. fiction, sort of like the Chronicles of Narnia and this one's called the history of the animals. and it's about indigenous people in three different continents and their relationship with the animals and it's a there's a story that weaves itself through all uh through uh several generations through that. Yeah. Wow. 40 years in the making. That's going to be incredible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm excited about that. But that's the kind of thing where I've got to find a you know, a cabin in the woods somewhere or on the beach and and uh, be able to just go and get away for, you know, weeks at yeah. a time to write that. So. Mm. Okay. So
0: Hey, I know that you have uh, something later this morning, but I have something exciting I wanted to tell you.
1: Well, what I hear is that your dissertation is approved. Is that right? Yes. Okay. So
0: I, I mentioned on a podcast, a couple podcasts ago that I had during COVID timed out of the PhD and I did not uh, successfully write my dissertation in time, but that I had the opportunity to switch programs to a doctor of ministry and um, to jump in with both feet there. And I sort of had to wrap my brain around, you know, I just had to like mourn letting the dream of the PhD go right? and sort of bury my ego a little bit there. And, uh, but in the process of doing that, I really caught a vision for how good it could be for me to get a doctor of ministry. And I really caught a vision for like why I want to do it.
1: Which is sort of the definition of practical theology, right? Yes, (laughs)
0: Yes, <laughs>
1: yes, it is. It's they're they're not that far apart, mm-hmm.
0: and so I came up uh, with you know an idea. I, so I submitted my proposal, and two weeks ago it was accepted, and I'm so so thrilled. So I want to tell you what I'm going to be studying.
1: All right, let's hear it.
0: Okay, I am going to be looking at anti racist book groups. So book groups that have engaged anti-racist works like um, white fragility or like there's so many out there, right? Right. How to, how to not be racist. Okay. Okay. And I want to know if any practical outcomes, any concrete action has resulted from engaging in those
1: materials. Oh, that's, that's great. Cause you're, you're like, um, uh, taking the platonic dualism head on, right? Yes. So is there anything really happening here? Because, or is it a disembodied theology? That's great. And yes. So I want to know
0: if people who read are part of a book club and maybe, so here's the thing that's, it's going to get really interesting because there are existing book clubs that just happen to read one of these books, like, why I'm done talking to white people about race and write so many of these books. Mm -hmm. But then after that book is over, they might move on to something else. So was that just one topic among a smorgasbord, you know, a buffet of topics. But there are other groups that have formed specifically as a result of uh, Black Lives Matter, the George Floyd protests. Denominations have been encouraging this, like even the, the one I'm a part of has a whole national wide program called Dismantling Racism. They have a resource page and they're encouraging people to join these discussion groups and book groups. So some groups have have um, sprung up specifically to address in anti-racist ideas and, and literature. So I am hoping so here's my positive and negative. I am hoping to hear and collect stories of actual concrete activity that has come out of this and then put it together as a positive case study and then make it available to all of the groups, whether they have taken action yet or not, and say, and here's how you can take practical steps to put this into action. Okay. So I'm really hoping to make it a positive case study.
1: So in in our, uh, at the uh, Portland Seminary, we have several tracks. One is an artifact track. That's, is that sort of what you're doing or is that different? It's, yeah, it's possible. So if, depending on how the
0: research goes, you know, because it'll start out as a questionnaire and then there'll be some interviews. So depending on how the data comes together, it might become something that could be a resource for, you know, future collaboration.
1: So it could be uh, a film and it could be a book or it could be an online thing or yeah,
0: yeah.
1: take form in a lot of different ways. Okay. Now
0: here's the negative. Here's what I'm afraid. Here's what I'm afraid of. Okay. I am afraid yeah, I know that for saying. many people yeah. that raising one's personal awareness is the extent of the anti-racist work that they've done absolutely, and that they feel like they've, because they're more enlightened or aware or woke that they've done anti-racist work. And maybe they take it one step further, which is to like, you know, say on Facebook that they'll post and say, Oh, you shouldn't use that phrase. You know, that's racist. Right. So they'll they'll do like a online activism sort of thing. You know, it gets called slacktivism. But uh, (laughs) but I'm I am nervous that for a lot of people. But here's why this matters to me. In the books that they've been reading. So there are nine. There are nine books that I have. uh, Highlighted that I have seen that I'm suspicious are the nine books that people have really been engaging over the last say four years in many of those books, it says specifically that it is not enough in anti-racist work for white people to just feel like better white people because that doesn't benefit people in communities of color. So it cannot be something that is centered on whiteness and then white people feel better because they're one of the good white people. If it doesn't result in something that benefits or partners with communities of color, then it isn't sufficient.
1: Yeah. And and there's also this thing of not just partner, but empower Mm. them to be the change agent and and the white folks to be the junior partner because uh, just cooperating with uh, people of color is not enough for white folks. It doesn't really change the dynamic. It doesn't change the power structure. They have to sort of come under the tutelage of people of color. Yeah. So I want to make a prediction. All right. And then I, and I want to tell you my next step. Okay. Cause I'm going to predict and you shouldn't be surprised by this. Um, (laughs) That uh at least and I'm going to be generous at least seventy percent of the people uh that you query have not done anything more than post online or buy another book or talk to their friends, okay they've not actually gone out and done something with uh, people of color so um and and that's because you're finding three thousand years of platonic dualism where our theologies and our actions are disembodied so so um so I hope I'm wrong. I want you to prove me wrong.
0: I, I do hope you're wrong, but here's why I think you're going to be right. I think that COVID has actually exasperated that permission, because even like when the protests were happening in Portland, I know lots of woke people who wanted to go and participate, you know, in the protests, but because of social distancing and stuff didn't. So I think it's going to be even more drastic because yeah. of the last two years.
1: Yeah. But my guess is, is that the younger uh, the group is, the more active they will be. OK. All right. Interesting. So if it's made up of uh, millennials and Gen Z's and some um, uh, Gen Xers. Uh, you know, I think you'll you'll probably see that they've done more. And the more it's made up of older Gen Xers and boomers, the, the less they'll probably do. So there'll be an interesting dynamic.
0: That will be interesting. So here's my next step. I just submitted, it's called an IRB, an Institutional Review Board. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to submit a protocol to say I will treat people uh, with dignity. I will I will guard their anonymity so that they remain right safe. And that I will handle the data that comes out of this in a specific way so that everyone's privacy is protected, right? Right. So I submitted my uh, IRB. I just got it back. I only have a couple edits to do. My protocols are all in order. But Randy, what this means, and the reason I'm so excited, is that when that IRB is, I get the final stamp of approval there, I can actually create the survey and begin reaching out to people who have organized these book groups or facilitated these book groups and actually start doing the research. So I'm actually going to be in, you know, future podcasts um, asking people if they've been a part of, uh, whether it's a book group or a study or a seminar or right. Some uh, activist group, if they will help me by, letting people know about the survey so that people can come and take it so that I get enough data that I have actually like credit a credible amount of responses.
1: Right. So are you going to do online groups as well? I think I have to. Yeah. Yeah. So because there's some groups that meet online for stuff Yeah. Um, that that may not be book groups, but they may just like chat about this stuff. So.
0: Yeah, that's great. So I am. I'm pretty confident that I can get enough responses because this is obviously a, a, a live, in real time conversation. I'm confident that I can get enough responses that I'll have, um, you know, a substantial representation in my data that, like, you know, the results will have um, credibility. Go, Bo. Hey, this yeah. is going to be a fun, topic.
1: Yeah, what and is- we might be surprised. Yeah. What are the nine books? Can you think of them offhand right now? or? Oh, I
0: do not have them right in front of me, but give me one second.
1: Okay. Um, and I'll, uh, chatter a bit while you're looking those up. So, <laughs> okay. uh, yeah, there's been so many books, so many books, uh, written by people of color that, uh, address racism and those kinds of things. Um, uh, I always try to not do the race question as much, but get to the root of it where I talk about the, you know, the platonic dualism and the Western worldview. And, and uh, so I'm, I'm always trying to sort of like, like, why are we racist instead of like, we are racist and here's where it comes out. Mm. Uh, But there's so many great books uh, out there written by lots of people. Um, so, and even, even things like, um, like the history of white people, Nell Irwin Painter, that's probably not on your list because it wasn't a popular book, but it's yeah. an important book. Um, uh, the, uh, um, uh, what was the, the new Jim Crow? Yeah. That deals with a specific area and talks about why we have, you know, the, the school to prison pipeline for uh, African-Americans and, so there's, there's so many ways you could go with this. I'm really interested to see which are the, the books that you ended up with.
0: All right. So here is the list so far. And this is just sort of my gleaning of books that I see referenced a lot in, in these online studies or, or book groups.
1: Yeah. And if, so, if people think of some more, do you want them to send, send it into our podcast? And, oh, that
0: would be great. Okay. That would be great. And actually, my... My advisor just sent me one more, uh, a recent one that I had I had not heard of, but I'm going to add to the the list.
1: Okay.
0: So, uh, white fragility, which is a uh, 2018. How to be anti-racist by Kendi, that's 2019. Why I'm no longer talking to white people about race, which is a 2019. So you want to talk about race? which is 2018. Me and White Supremacy, that's 2020. The Quaking of America, that's a 2022. That's the one that I had not heard of before. So the subtitle is An Embodied Guide to Navigating Our Nation's Upheaval and Racial Reckoning by Resmaa Menachem. Sure, I'm saying that wrong, and I apologize. I just learned about this book, so I have to look into it. And then here here's three more that that I'm I see a lot in religious circles mm-hmm. becoming anti-racist church by Barnt. But that's from 2011. Tears, we cannot stop a sermon to white America by Michael Eric Dyson. That's 2021. Oh,
1: I love Michael Eric Dyson.
0: Oh you know, man, he's and then dear church, a love letter from a black priest to the whitest denomination in the U.S. by Lenny Duncan, and that's a 2019.
1: I think there's one a new and also that I just talked to the author not, re- not too long ago, Dear White Church. Um, yeah, so I saw that and I thought about
0: including it, but I haven't. But I'm going to create a menu and people can tell us, tell me which books they've read. So I might add that. I haven't personally seen any groups that utilized that
1: well yeah. how about I mean, there's so many others like crossing the lynching tree um there's uh you know i I'm gonna send you a list of probably twenty books, so okay. uh, well, those are, uh, yeah, my bibliography is huge right
0: i but I'm just trying to find the books that book groups have read,
1: right, yeah. Okay. So, so you can include a lot of these in your suggested to read further or whatever. Yes. 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 Suggested further reading. Yes. All right. Well, that sounds so exciting. And, and I hope it's, it, I hope, you know, most books that are written about race are written between white folks and black folks, and they're stuck in that binary. Hmm. So I hope you can reach outside of that binary and include other folks, especially, uh, you know, um, during all the Asian hate that's going on, um, you know, and uh, the south of the border stuff, and Native America—I mean, so like it's—it's it's, there is a different kind of racism in this country toward each group, and so you know, hopefully, uh, people will start understanding that a little better through your study.
0: Yeah! Wow! Well, I'm—I th- I am so excited to that I got to tell you about that. I've been waiting to tell you my good news and All right. whatever, too. hey nice. I do really want to thank our Patreon supporters they have been fantastic and so I just want to say thank you to everyone who supports us whether it's at a dollar or ten dollars or twenty dollars thank you so much for your support and we really couldn't do this without you and we appreciate it so much yes amen to that alright well Thank you for listening, and we will look forward to talking with you soon. Peace out, everyone.